Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Friday Roundtable Show. We're recording this. Um, it's June the 28th and 2019. We record this at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time in the morning, every Friday. I've got a small but powerful panel. Uh, um, I've got some great stories. I've got, I've got a guest coming back. He was here last week. There was only the two of us, but I thought we did a reasonable job. So I thought I would have him back. And he's going to be my full-time co-host on our interview show as well. That's Adrian. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Absolutely. Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian. I am the CEO and founder of Groundhog, a marketing automation plugin built for you for WordPress users. Uh, You can find out more about that info at groundhog.io is my personal email address, or you can go to groundhog.io and see all of the good stuff there. That's great. And I've got my friend, John Locke. Do you like to introduce yourself, John? Yeah, um, I'm John. And uh, yeah, I do SEO for manufacturing and industrial firms. That's great. And I've got Chris with us. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? My name is Chris Badgett, and I help course builders launch online courses, coaching programs, and training-based membership sites with a WordPress plugin called Lifter LMS. I also have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast. That's great. And um, hopefully you're listening to this, listeners. Um, we also do an interview show during the week. Listen to that. It's on the same Apple feed. And if you um, want to see any bonus content, go to the WP Tonic YouTube channel. Um, it's getting quite a few new subscribers lately. It's growing quite rapidly. Uh, um, so join that. And we've got loads of bonus content on that channel. So join that. And if you want to listen to any of the shows, the earliest, it's always best to subscribe to YouTube channel because you'll be able to hear those on there the earliest. So let's go on for our stories. And I think I've rustled up some interesting stories with the help of the panel. And we start off with WP Engine requires Frywheel. What do you reckon about this one, Chris? I'm excited for it. Um, WP Engine, you know, has definitely grown a lot over the years and Flywheel is a respected company for hosting. So just having them come together, I don't think there's really that much to talk about besides just the consolidation that's happening in the WordPress space. And, you know, two good hosting companies coming together, I think is only a a good thing. So those are my comments. Do you think, is is there any any kind of um, sign of the market really do you think, was you surprised at all that WP Engine at this stage would actually start buying companies? Or do you actually not, just, not really, not really. I no. They've been, I mean, they've been inquiring, acquiring other companies to make their offer more valuable, like Studio Press. And, uh, try, and you know, a while ago, they acquired that Torque uh, news site. So they're not just acquire, they're not just like trying to add value to the hosting stack and the tech stack, but also be able to have a media channel and then to grow through acquisition. So it's, it's the classic, you know, uh, M&A playbook happening. Oh, do you think it might require quality podcast, I know? Potentially. 
<laughs> but, but I was talking about yours, obviously. But there we go. So, um, Andrew, <laughs> no chance. Um, Agent, um, oh, I love you, WP. Tony. No, no, I'm a kid. I'm, I'm in, uh, I support Kingston. I'm sorry. Uh, um, Agent, what do you think of this story? Well, like Chris had said, uh, there's a lot of um, consolidation happening in a lot of the different WordPress businesses that are out there, both in hosting and themes and plugins. For example, Automatic is you know now buying up some of the more popular WooCommerce add-ons uh, with their acquisition of the subscription payments plugin or, or the company that produces it, rather. Uh, so lots of consolidation going on. And I think that's, uh, or at least the, the whole WordPress consolidation force that's moving forward or the wave that's moving forward is uh, exemplifies how WordPress is kind of moving into uh, not just like the crowdsourced software that it was built to be, but consistently moving towards, um, how do I put this? Like the uh, the more grown-up tech sector where uh, enterprise companies are start to get involved and financial investors start to get too involved. And we may see, you know, IPOs at one point. And I think with uh, all of these acquisitions and people, Businesses that are involved in the WordPress community are preparing themselves for eventually being maybe traded and diversifying their portfolios. For example, like Chris had said, they're buying up media companies, they're buying up themes, they're buying up other hosting companies in order to diversify their their offering. So if someone was to look into their portfolio and says, yes, this is where I want to put my money, then they can see all of those revenue streams like that's a good diversified investment. Yeah, that's well put. Yeah. What do you reckon, John? Yeah. So I think this took me a little bit by surprise, but I, I, back in my former previous life, I have seen this happen before when companies uh, are trying to raise their valuation, they will often acquire uh, other companies in order to boost their annual revenue. And some stats here that I just saw is WP Engine's the current annual recurring revenue is 132 million. Flywheels was 18 million. And uh, WP Engine has a current growth of growth rate of 50%. So by 2020, by the end of 2020, this time um, next year, they should be making 200 million in annual recurring revenue. Uh, if they were to IPO right now, it would probably be just shy of $1 billion. So uh, they've taken, what I think it's like four rounds and they took a very small round in order to make this acquisition. So they are most definitely going to IPO at some point. They're going to be like- They're looking for it. Yeah, they're looking for it. So very interesting. And as Chris said, there's been a lot of consolidation. There's been a lot of companies that were really well established in what you could say was the, the phase one of WordPress growth. And a lot of those companies uh, have been acquired by the, the, the bigger fish. Uh, so it, it's very interesting as we're in the middle of the phase two of WordPress growth. I think they're great points. Thanks for that, John. I think we go on to the next story. Uh, um, God bless WP Engine. Uh, um, there we go. Um, when Chinese students were given for uncensored internet. I thought this was a fascinating story myself, actually. What did you think of this one, Adrian? Um, well, I read it, and it was indeed fascinating. 
Um, I suppose if you grow, it's like the nature versus nurture argument. Are we like naturally curious or do we grow up learning to be curious? And when they were given, you know, the, this new uh, uncensored internet that they had never experienced before, they weren't, it, it, the, the stats showed that unless incentivized, they weren't naturally curious for anything that was already outside of kind of their, their realm of experience, which is interesting. So uh, it was really uh, looking at like the psychological aspect of it, you know, if, if we provide these tools, if you grow up in a box and you're not aware of anything outside of the box, do you naturally want to go outside the box? And the results from this survey... Are you, talking, are you talking about living in America? <laughs> I, no, but I'm, I'm, sure you could, uh, I'm sure you could extend uh, that. as me- Something crazy like 80% of Americans don't have it, or 50%, some crazy number, don't have a passport. I should actually look up that statistic. But it's quite large. And you're becoming like a politician, Adrian. You don't look up. You just say it. You know, nah, I don't really know. Let me, let me look it up. You know, while you're going to the next person, that, that was cruel. That was cruel. No, no, no. That was cruel, actually. Uh, um, so, um, Chris, what did you think? I'm not a fan of censorship personally. Uh, but the interesting statistic in this article is that 5% of the subjects who got the uncensored internet actually accessed uncensored content. So there's a couple of things tied up in that. Number one, if China were to become more of a free speech type of country, the change is not going to be dramatic. Like it would be slow there. It's a slippery slope though. I mean, a couple memes get out or, you know, a major social movement starts happening. That 5% can jump up. But what I'm saying is the change is not like, it's not like you turn off censorship and all of a sudden everything goes to everybody all the time. There's like this early adopter, just like any kind of business life cycle where only 5% are really you know, st- sticking their toes out and checking things out. And the reality is in human nature, we're all deviant people in some way. And I think that 5% is probably just 5% of the time, any human being watching this is probably doing some kind of deviant behavior. And that's just part of being human. And you can't really stop that with censorship. So I'd like to see China, you know, become a free speech country. And uh, I think that would foster more innovation and economic growth and partnership, you know, internationally with China. So that's, that's my two cents. Yeah. And of course, obviously the students, you know, they're not naive, you know, they're giving the internet, but if they ever, you know, there's the after period, isn't it? You know, the prospect that, you might get a black mark and end up in a detention centre. Probably, you still kind of have that in the back of your mind, maybe. What do you reckon, John, or am I being cynical? No, I think that, as Chris said, and, and, and you pointed out, there's some powerful psychological things that are at play here because you would think offering uh, younger people uh, access to an un censored internet, you'd think that they would be uh, using it, but they're not using it as much as you would think. And as the article says, uh, part of it's due to, they just don't care about politics, but uh, they're also afraid of government reprisal and they might not trust uh, foreign news sources. And I, I, I think that is a universal thing that we see as well. Once you kind of form an opinion uh, or, or a viewpoint of the world, it's really hard to break out of that. Once you form 
uh, a kind of your viewpoint. And I think for these students, it's it's like you say, if you're if you're changing the culture or the uh, just the the way that, that a society uh, works, like like China does, it doesn't happen. Even if they were to be free speech, like all of a sudden, it wouldn't change all at once because it's very deeply rooted. Uh, this. Uh, you know, like this is how you're supposed to behave and, and you're not supposed to like, you know, trust the, the evil, you know, West or, or whatever. Here goes the evil West. Yes. Yeah. Right. On to the next one. Um, after the party, uh, apology. Oh, I can say that about a few of the policies I've been to. There we go. But I think you found this one, John. What did you like about this one then? What did you, Right. So uh, apparently, and I wasn't in attendance, but apparently this was a kind of a, a, a thing that, that came to my attention on Twitter, of course. Uh, at the after party at uh, WordCamp Europe, which is the largest WordCamp uh, currently going uh, in the world right now, I guess they had booked some entertainment. And... Um, I that's guess always, that, that's always a bad sign. Uh oh, yeah. Uh oh. According to the article, the entertainment came with the venue package. Oh, oh. is that what it was? Okay. So the yes. entertainment was included. Okay. So they said basically, I guess there is some racy elements, like some half naked um, women or, or something that was part of this entertainment. Uh, and they said, like, hey, we don't want like the half naked people. You know what I mean? But I guess it just appeared anyway. And, uh, yeah, so there were some people that were like, you know, what the hell? What's going on? You know, uh, why why are we seeing like, you know, half naked? It doesn't, it doesn't really, I'm going to the wrong word camps, obviously. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to the wrong parties. Even I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to point this out. I'm, I'm missing out a lot. I have missed out a lot. And, th- and this, I, is a, this is I'm pissed off five. Oh, yeah, you, you can't miss out. <laughs> but I, here's a dead serious question. Why is it that every time there's a controversy, uh, it's always like half-naked women or, you know, sexy strippers that are women? How come none of these venues, none of these tech events have, they always have booth babes, not booth, uh, you know, Chippendales dancers? How come uh, it's not like uh, half-naked guys up on stage? Why do you think Uh, that is? Well, because it's the industry dominated by males, isn't it? Ah, there you go. Yeah, I don't know. No, I'm sure women can behave just as badly as men. I'm sure because they, they have Moulin Rouge in Europe. <laughs> yeah, well, what was that? I lost. I missed that. Because they have Moulin Rouge in Europe. All oh, right, there we go. Our um, our um, bonjours, if you play. Our we I don't know. It's just badly behaved. What do you reckon, Chris? What, what do you reckon in this story? And uh, um, I don't know if you watched any of the um or followed um. WordCamp Europe. Uh, um, it seemed a good WordCamp, didn't it? Yeah, it seemed good. I'm going to try to go to the next one. In yeah, Port- in Portugal. I think this article it, just it sounds a bit better than going to some godforsaken place in December in um, America, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I think that, <laughs> I think that uh, this article just highlights something really great about the WordPress community, which is inclusion and tolerance and uh, acceptance. So even though it may seem kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is, like extreme or overly PC, 
I think that's actually one of the things that makes WordPress great is they're pushing the boundaries of acceptance, inclusion, and being like, uh, you know, politically correct in a way where everybody is well, well I thought that initially, but then, what you know, as I read the thing and as John has pointed out, yeah, I know it was bought in as a package, but having, you know, half-dressed ladies performing on stage, it doesn't like me really fit into a word camp really anyway, does it? Well, when I was at WordCamp US, the after party oh. was in a uh, museum. And, oh. I, and I remember thinking like, oh, this is cool. I mean, there were drinks there and stuff like that, but it was a very like chill venue that was, it just made sense. Like mm. the museum, it was like a science museum in Nashville or it was cool. It wasn't like a, you know, a casino where lots of things could go wrong. Yes. Yes. I see your point. What do you reckon, Adrian? Well, I, uh, after reading the article, you know, it's, it's always the, the voice of the unhappy. That's always the loudest. Uh, so, you know, it's like I, the I read the comment section. I always go straight to the oh god, section, right? just, to, just to see what the public opinions are. Oh, on the time. The majority of people seem to be like, oh. I'm not sure why they're apologizing. It was a great show. It was a great time. I had a great time. And you know, again, the the minority of the the interaction on this on this article was that how dare they? So many mistakes made. Blah yada yada yada. Uh, it's again. It's always it's always the voice of the unhappy that is always the loudest, and that'll be true in for WordCamp or any private company or any user submitted software or or really anything. And it's and it, apologizing for things that don't necessarily need to be apologized for has become industry standard, almost in in a lot of uh, business verticals, uh, including software, uh, in media, and a whole bunch of other places too. So is you know do do we condemn WordPress for uh, uh, some minor mistakes? And to their credit, they had said in the article that they requested that the show be PC, uh, and then they had gone to another show which was so in order to say, yeah, okay, you know, this show fits in with our brand and what we want people to experience. And then the show that they got was not the show that they were promised. So like, do we blame them? I'm not going to, and I don't think anybody else who is like seriously mad at. What it, what essentially I've had, I've had that problem, Adrian. I've had that problem. I, you know, I've paid for a show and I've not got what I paid for. But there we yeah, go. That, and that's, I'm, that's what I'm, only, I'm only joking, listeners of yours. Uh, so, I only live in the world. So, there we go. <laughs> so yeah, and you know, I don't think we need to condemn a group of volunteers for putting on a great show that most people, the majority, the vast majority of people having a great time and learning a lot and certainly getting the value out of their ticket fare. Um, and before I end, I did look up the stat on the number of U.S. citizens oh. that do not have a passport. And oh. as of 2017, uh, just under 40% have a passport. Yeah, I've got three. So good, goodie for me. Uh, um, <clears throat> You could have a backups, especially if you live in the US nowadays. <coughs> That's what I reckon. <laughs> Gotta have a stash. Might be visiting you, Adrian, as a referee, you know, as a Toronto's as a... wonderful this time of year. It's like twenty seven degrees out today. Awesome. You're really selling it. There we go. Right. Um I like to talk about one of my great sponsors and I like to talk about WP Fusion. What is WP Fusion? You might ask my beloved new listeners and viewers. And there's been a quite a few recently. We appreciate you joining the tribe. 
Um, so what it does basically, if obviously you should have WordPress in your technology stack, but you're probably going to have a CRM like um, Active Campaign, Drip, Groundhog. Uh, um, yes, he's. Uh, I remembered. I've been singing your praises. Ask Chris. Like I've been. I've been your. You know, you should be sponsoring me soon. The amount of free I'll advertising. I'll send you an affiliate link. <laughs> so generous. Uh, um, so, um, <laughs> oh dear, I oh, uh, just love it. Uh, um, so, get back to my sponsor who actually does sponsor me. Uh, um, is that no, he's early startup, Adrian. You know, when he gets his millions, I'm sure he'll remember who helped him. Uh, um, so. Get back to get back to the story. So WP Fusion, um, it allows your WordPress to really communicate with your CRM of choice, and it really puts it on steroids. And the support, the quality coding, everything about it is top notch. I use it myself. Have used it on clients' projects. It's fantastic. So if you want to go to the WP Fusion and find out more, if you're a developer, power user you're into marketing optimization and you're into WordPress, you need this plugin. So go to WP Fusion and I've got some really great bonus news exclusively only to you listeners and viewers. If you use the coupon code WPTONIC, you'll get 25% of any of their packages and that's only available to you, my beloved WPTONIC tribe. So I think we're going to go for our break. We've got some other great stories. We'll be back in a few moments. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. Coming back and um, off we go. And we've got the next story. Um, something awful, awfuls, something awful founder thinks YouTube sucks at modern moderation <sighs> I'm struggling I got it was a, uh, I had a heavy night last night all right um John Johnny John what did you think of this one <clears throat> yeah file uh, YouTube is bad at moderation file this one oh. under no duh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah oh, I, okay. it's yeah it's like, so, say that Trump wears a wig get it yeah it's really interesting that these larger uh, publicly held social networks are all under fire and under scrutiny for not there. Let's say that they have a selective uh, way of enforcing their uh, terms of service. It, and you, you see it on YouTube, you see it on Twitter, you see it on Facebook. It's, it's kind of like the worst bad actors uh, usually get the highest engagement. Or they have the most, you know, a large amount of followers, and you know, the the whole algorithm of of these things is to drive engagement, to have people stay longer on the platform so they can serve up more ads and make more money, and uh, it, it's very interesting. But 
this uh, the platform is something awful. They they were an early pioneer in uh, memes and stuff like that. But they're pretty much like we will ban you for whatever you know we feel like. One of the people that they ended up banning early on ended up being the founder of 4chan, which is just a, a great place to hang out, right? No, it, just disregard that entirely. Do not go there. Yeah, Unless exactly. you want to be scarred That's sarcasm. Sarcasm. Extreme, extreme sarcasm. I'm having a bad influence on you, John. You're gradually becoming more English as, yeah. as the years of our friendship continue. So, yeah, but... Yeah, he he's basically he basically said that like the moderation is hard because you know they're not very clear about what their terms of service is. It seems like with YouTube they they're coming under a lot of fire for all kinds of stuff. Uh with uh from everything from like these auto the auto generated like uh creepy like kid vid- like the the children's videos that are all weird uh oh, to you know having you know people inciting like all kinds of like uh just Basically, like borderline, like uh, they don't want to say hate speech, but they really are pushing the edge. Are you are you saying it makes Facebook look like a kindergarten? Well, the, I I think that that Twitter and Facebook and YouTube all have some some problems with moderation uh, right now, and and I think it would be good if they just have a set of rules that they can stick to and not. Uh, yeah, and not saying like, anyway, yeah, like you know. Twitter, for example, like saying like, oh, this is uh, newsworthy, so we're not gonna, you know, ban this account or anything like that because oh, business model make money excluded. <laughs> we only do this just to keep them on the right side of regulation, really, don't they? Yeah, well, I mean, and there's not regulation for it, but but well, again, preventing the regulation because if they had to really um, supervise yeah. it. To the standard of a of a newspaper or any kind of you know forum, I, I actually question if the business model would be profitable. So I, I think they do it just to try and keep regulation away as long as possible, because uh, um, that will sizably degree decrease the profitability of these platforms. But that's my that's my. What do you reckon, Chris? Am I a bit too cynical? I don't think so. The two things are in opposition to each other. Like if if YouTube is optimizing for clicks, views, and shares, having you know very controversial content is going to increase clicks, views, and shares, and watch time and all that. Yeah. So I think what happens is like with the whole Alex Jones takedown from social media is eventually we get to the edge of like it's what's acceptable. And then now we have to have a big conversation around what, what creates this edge, which terms of service have been violated, why this person and not that person, who's actually doing the takedown. I think the article has a good thing here where it says there's three things they have to do to have a good moderation. And one is making it easy for moderators to operate. The second is having a clear set of rules that everyone knows, which is one way I think Facebook groups do it a little better. They usually be like, these are the rules of this Facebook group. Like you can't drop links or you can't, you know, do say something that is offensive or whatever. Uh, that's just like for an individual's Facebook group, not the platform itself. The third piece is uh, getting the right people for the job. So it's one thing to have like volunteer moderators in your community. I mean, this happens to me in my Facebook group. People are reporting posts all the time and it seems to work. Like they just, they're just trying to keep the purity of the group they don't want some ran, random spam post for Rolex watches in there. So it, it, they're reporting and it just works. But I think at scale, it doesn't work so well. 
And there's a lot of different, um, you know, interests of why people are trying to get a piece of content taken down, which comes very hard to control. So at scale, I think there needs to be like, that's just a part of the business. Somebody needs to be paid or a division of the company needs to be paid as moderators in addition to community moderators to really lead that up if that's something we care about. Yeah, I suppose I was being a, being a little bit controversial there. Surprise, surprise, listeners and viewers. Me, um, controversial, never. Uh, um, so, um, but I suppose you could, you know, but I think, yeah, I think it's more linked to the traffic numbers. The more, the more boring it gets. It's a contradiction in terms, isn't it, Chris? You know, the more you you supervise it, the more less controversial it is. Yeah. more boring it gets, doesn't it? So there we go. Uh, um, go move to England. Be totally bored off your brains, mate. Yeah, that's what I'll say. Uh, um, on to the next story. State do, I of... not get a, do I not get to chime in? <laughs> oh, sorry, I forgot. Yeah, go on, sorry, I apologise. Sorry. Just going to skip me? How dare um, you? Um, I just, I just wanted I'll to... Just, I've just censored him. You just censored me. Well, as long as you're moderating the comments on this podcast, then I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to chime in quickly. Uh, Google, Facebook, YouTube, they're, they're not classified as public utilities. They are businesses who need to create value for their stockholders and for their shareholders. Uh, and they do that by, as John had said earlier, creating engagement from whoever's following that happens to be using their platform. Uh, and private, there, there are entire private communities that exist on YouTube of people who uh, subscribe to things that many of us would deem as beneath what, what we would usually consume as you know, regular content. Uh, and their business model is serving ads to as many people as possible in order to generate many, as much revenue as possible. The problem with, I found with this article is comparing YouTube uh, to something awful is their two business models are incredibly different. Uh, the business model of uh, something awful is uh, donations. There is a limited uh, ad campaign kind of system going on in there. It's not nearly as robust um, or as useful as YouTube's ad generation algorithm is. Uh, they also sell merch and they sell a bunch of uh, basically other small ticket items but their business model allows them to be a lot stricter on moderation than a company as YouTube, who, again, whose purpose is not to provide a public utility, but is rather to provide value for its shareholders. So if YouTube and Facebook and all of those places become a public utility, then fine, we can moderate it however we see fit, and uh, we can essentially choose to enforce are the terms and agreements that are laid out on the site. But until they become public utilities, which they probably never will, then they can necessarily operate however they see fit in order to create the most value for their shareholders. Yeah, I've got two comments on that. I, I actually disagree with you there, actually, Adrian. I think it's increasingly um, possible that these companies are going to, at some stage, be broken up. Um, and I can see... Um, legislation that enforces. Um, on the other hand, you know, just a thought. You know, maybe we're just kind of they're just in the public eye, and they're very effective in producing this content for the reasons you outlined and Chris and John, you have all outlined. That's their business model. Um, but maybe we're just—it's still just blaming the messenger. You know, um, fundamentally. 
you know, if people want to follow really dark people that are xenophobic, heat, queer, lesbian people, want to heat black people, want to heat anybody that's not exactly like them and want to do terrible things to them. Um, you know, it's not Facebook or uh, YouTube that produces those attitudes. They're still there. They just, produ- they just produce a platform. They go start 4chan. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, Rob, they, they still go somewhere. They, they're still not going to change their attitudes. You know, they're still there, aren't they? So maybe you're just blaming, you know, the the microphone. You know, you're not you're not blaming the real source. They're just, it, you know, there's just a sizable minority of people that are just shitheads, basically, are they? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Uh, um, Oh, you're not going to reply to it, so I'll go on to the next story. Uh, um, there, right. State of C... Oh, something, something oh, probably even more worse, actually. The state of CSS in 2019 survey result. Top frameworks rank low in satisfaction. JavaScript proficiency on the rise. What did you think of this one, John? Yeah, so I thought it was really interesting that uh, in foundation were uh, at the bottom. I, I think it must be a developer thing. I mean, I develop, but I, I'm not as obsessive about it as, as um, some people. And it, I, I could see Bootstrap being ranked low, uh, but Foundation, I think, really surprises me uh, because I know a lot of people that, that use that uh, and, and roll their own uh, frameworks. I think a lot of these newer ones, maybe they've made improved uh, earlier predecessors. That could be why that they're they're rated so high. I think it is uh, interesting that that JavaScript is proficiency is is rising. I think that's definitely uh, where the web is is headed. Uh, at least it seems. But yeah, definitely it's it's the magic triangle. It's it's the the holy trinity: uh, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. That's uh, everything you need. Everything. Those don't need even to eat or or sleep. What do you reckon, Chris? What do you reckon of this one? Uh, no comment on that. <laughs> no, I thought you were going to do that. <laughs> well, um, Adrian, go on. Do you have any comments? Uh, I uh, I mostly develop in the WordPress space, so I'm not super familiar with a lot of like the CSS frameworks like Foundation and Bootstrap because there's a lot of built-in stuff into WordPress core that I get to play around with. Um, I, th- I think the as far as John was mentioning that Bootstrap and Foundation were really low, as as they were one of the, or two of the first rather uh, frameworks out there. It's what, when you build your entire platform on on stuff that hasn't necessarily existed yet. So a lot of these new frameworks incorporate a lot of the the newer like CSS three features and our CSS five features and all of that good stuff. A lot of that had didn't exist when they first came out, or when the frameworks first came out, and aging along with those new, uh, with those uh, new improvements can become difficult. For example, WordPress core also suffers from these new improvements come out in PHP and all of that. But since their whole core is based on a technology that existed essentially 13 years ago, it's hard to to maintain an update. They do the best that they can, and I think they actually do a really good job at trying to stay relevant with all of like the new. Like, we have namespacing in PHP now, and there's like so many improvements and functions, but a lot of core just doesn't make use of that because the framework was built on stuff, and they have to 
maintain backwards compatibility and all that good stuff, right? And people like, oh, wow, well, you, you, your website is built on WordPress. You know, it's like 13 years old. It's only meant for blogging. Uh, and people are just ignorant of all of the things that it can do. And I think that's, you know, we're seeing that, satis- that low satisfaction rating pr- probably come from a similar mentality. Um, otherwise, other than that, again, JavaScript proficiency going up can only be good for the WordPress community because uh, we see with uh, developments in the new WordCo- uh, WooCommerce administration um, menu, that's entirely built on JavaScript. And of course, Gutenberg is all JavaScript now. So we're going to see the benefits of that JavaScript proficiency leading down into the WordPress community, which can only be good for us. Actually, um, um, it's kind of linked. If you could, if you could wish one major change in WordPress, what would that be, Adrian? Uh, definitely. So, part one of the biggest things that people, or one of the biggest problems that I have, is that when people when people create WordPress plugins, uh, a lot of them move away from the typical way that WordPress looks. And I feel that if people are going to be able to use WordPress and, and, and learn new plugins that they install relatively quickly, then the tools that they install in WordPress should look like WordPress. But making your plugin look like WordPress can be difficult because there's not a whole lot of documentation around all of the standard classes. They're the Some of the abstract classes that they do have implemented aren't super robust. For example, the list table. Uh, so I, for Groundhog, uh, we have a bunch of abstract classes that are built on top of existing WordPress classes, but would be unusable if we didn't build that framework around it already. So I think that WordPress core could really benefit from adding a whole lot of more abstraction and, and templates that people would be able to use and then build into their plugins in order to make all of their stuff look and feel the same as Word, uh, as basic WordPress so that the learning curve would be significantly low. Because if you look, if you're using something that looks like something you've used before, chances are you'll be able to use it effectively. If you're, if you, if you log into something completely different and you have no idea what's going on or where all the buttons are, then it can be significantly more difficult. And then you experience churn and uninstalls and it's just a, an overall bad experience. Groundhog is built around making it look exactly work WordPress, And that's what we've done. Although it wasn't super easy, which is the problem. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a great point, actually, and it's something I've been thinking on and off. And it'd be surprising for you, listeners and viewers, that I actually do think. But there we go. Uh, um, but um, yeah, because it, it's it, it's still a jumble of different areas, isn't it? You know, it can, it can be in settings, it could be in tools, it could be under appearance, it could make its own icon, sub, you know, in the site. it could be anywhere. Flexibility, the, the WordPress's flexibility is all uh, is its greatest, you know, strength and also is one of its greatest flaws because it's there's so many ways for a developer to accomplish the same task in WordPress. If, if it was, if they provided a lot more structured way for, for plugin developers or tool developers or theme developers, that was so much more structured well. and rigid than I feel that that a lot of the plugins that we do use would be laid out in a way that would make it easier to onboard people. That's just a, an opinion, though. And, and in practice, it can be seen in many different ways. But Well, they did in a way, didn't they? Because they really were pushing you. You did have a choice here, didn't you? You could have, you know, I was... I was looking at um, Matt from the Matt Reports Conductor. Um, I've been using it. And they decided to put everything in the customizer. And now mm-hmm. most most plugin 
it's never flown really, you know, um, um, Astra, you know, they, you know, it's a theme, it's a theme, but they, they chose to heavily put everything in the customizer. Yeah. But a lot of people just don't, you know, you chose not to put it all in the customizer. Can I ask you quickly, why did you decide that? The the customizer is mainly for front end development. Uh, so the customizer is for the, the, the look and style and, and some of the settings like your logo, your business name, the, the stuff that appears in the footer link, the colors. Groundhog is all back end. There, there are, there's very little that is actually seen by, by anyone that's actually visiting your site. The, all they would see is maybe like the email preference center and a form on a couple pages that if you built a form and you put it on your website. So customizer wasn't really... Uh, you can't edit, you can't build funnels or write emails from the customizer. At least that's not what it was made to do. I'm sure someone could make it do that, but that yeah, would be awesome a great user experience. It's all, it's all about user experience at the end of the day. Can I ask you of this, Chris? Was there ever a discussion that you should really put everything as much as possible in the customizer? Was that a discussion at any stage with Lyft LMS? Only for our theme. So we have a theme called Launchpad, which we released actually right before the customizer came out. And we were shooting ourselves in the foot for, oh, I wish that had, I wish we had waited a little bit and done it the customizer way, because then it would have been a little bit easier for people to adopt. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, everything's in flux with like Gutenberg and the block editor. There's a lot we do in the block editor in terms of building course and lesson structures for the content that's very visual that people can now see with the block editor and what you see is actually what you get on the front end. Uh, I still see the customizer, like Adrian said, more as a front end kind of theme styling thing than a functionality thing. And sometimes there are a few things related to plugins. Like you mentioned the Astro theme has some customizer settings to like... Well, it's all in the customizer. And I was using like Matt's conductor plugin and yeah. they, they heavily... Um, you know, I know it cost him a lot of money and development time. It was that was the big push that everybody should put not only stuff that related to theme styling, but literally almost all functionality should have been. You know, at some some moment, I'm not, time goes so quick. I think we're talking about a couple of years ago. Um, plus, you know, there was this real big push. It should go all in the customizer, and then conductor. It's all in the customizer, um, and like the Astra, it's all in the cust. You know, all these options, everything. But I think for a lot of people, it never flew, did it? Was it just the the? There was some resistance to the customizer. I remember just that users didn't really. It didn't really adopt like I thought, like you would hope, or maybe like there was like a slow adoption, and then. Very slowly, people were like, oh, yeah, it's better to have theme options over here than all these theme developers making their own options panel that all look different. So then if you change your theme, now you got to relearn how to update some things. But yeah, the, the adoption, I was actually surprised on the adoption rate of the customizer being what it was. And then page builders came on the scene and added another layer that further just... I, I personally feel one of the reasons, but I'm not a UX expert, uh, I'm just putting my honest opinion here. Um, I just don't think it's a great bit of UX design in general, the customizer. I never have and never will do unless they dramatically change it. I just don't think it's a great bit of UX design. What do you reckon, Adrian? I think I, I think the, the the largest problem that people have is, is, is the customizer load time. I think that's his biggest detriment to uh, 
to the user experience. If if the load time was significantly faster, then I think it would. I actually think that it was built out quite well. It's easy to navigate. Uh, I find, and the the fact that the settings in in real time update how, what your website looks like, because I think this is a huge benefit as far as front end development goes. You can shift click on items, and it just pops up the setting. I actually think, all in all, it's 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 an, a good user experience. It's one detriment is that. For example, if you have Astra, then all of those options load into the customizer can load, can turn your load time into 10, 15 seconds, mm. uh, which, you know, if you're on a time crunch or you want to get something done quickly and you're like, oh, I have to wait for this, then yeah, it can be annoying. All in all, I think it's, I, I think it is a good uh, addition to Word. It was a good addition to WordPress and it continues to be helpful. At least I use it all the time, so I find it helpful. Yeah, it was probably just me and grumpy old man. There we go. Uh, um, on to the next story. Uh, um, if only I had the intention of Blueberry Youth, so you've got agent. There we go. Uh, um, so on to the next story. How much of Google search traffic is left for anyone but themselves? Um, what do you reckon of this one, John? I thought it was a fascinating little thing. Right. So... This article basically is is talking about a couple things, uh, which is if people are searching in Google, how many people click on um, a non-Google site? How many people click to a Google site like Maps or YouTube? And how many are zero-click searches? And according to this article, uh, the number is zero-click searches, meaning people don't click uh, to to anything, to another web page is uh, a little bit above 48%, which seems like astonishingly high. But if if you really look at how Google has changed over the last few years, um, there, there's a lot of things that, that I use Google for, uh, and you may as well, uh, listeners out there. Uh, for example, I, I use it as a calculator. Um, you can type in, uh, you know, like an addition uh, problem and just hit return and it'll be a calculator. Uh, during <clears throat> during the NBA finals, which just happened, uh, congratulations Raptors! Uh, I would always uh, type in the um, you know just NBA and it would give me uh, the score of the game like in real time. Uh, so instances like that, you know, there, there's going to be zero click searches. There's no need to like go into uh, another website. And I think, um, you know, and I've heard people complaining about this too, uh, that, that they marked up FAQ pages uh, with FAQ schema, and then it ends up being uh, a rich snippet and they don't get the clicks back to their site. Uh, I think you're going to see more of that because Google is really not necessarily a search engine where you click to find uh, the best um, the sites that you want to go to, but it's a task completion engine where uh, if you can complete the task that you're trying to do, such as find, you know, what hours that restaurant is open, or maybe you want to book a flight or a hotel and, and they're doing that. They're, they're doing their own uh, thing with the, the Google flights and, and all these different things and Google home services. They are chewing up a lot of other sites and, you know, you got to figure out like where to fit that in and, and play the game. Uh, because it's not going to change. They have dominant market share. Uh, according to this, it's it's ninety four percent of all uh, internet uh, 
if if you, if you look at um, Google itself and Google Images and YouTube uh, with Bing and uh, Facebook and DuckDuckGo uh, being like way behind that. So it, it really is the dominant search engine, no matter like what stats you're looking at. Uh, so you got to figure out like how uh, to play the game. And, and right now they just changed their layout very recently to where there's more ads at the top of uh, search results. And that's because even though they made billions and billions of dollars in quarter one, they missed their revenue targets for the shareholders by, you know, whatever, like 0.4 billion. So now they're taking no chances and they're just pumping it up with AdWords. Uh, and like I said, you got to scroll like hella far just to get to organic results uh, sometimes. So uh, it's the nature of the beast. Uh, clicks are, are going down overall, uh, but you got to figure out how to still do marketing uh, in, in that context. Yeah, I suppose so. What do you reckon, Adrian? What do you think of this one? Let me just unmute my mic here. Um, yeah, I thought, so Google is really about answering your question in the least amount of steps humanly possible. Uh, as John was saying, it's not, it's not really much more of a, of a search engine anymore, as it is an assistant. Uh, if it can't answer it for you, it will find someone who will. Uh, and that's what the or- that's where the organic search results come in. But if it can answer it for you without having to take you to uh, another place, then it will do so, and that's its prerogative. Uh, I know I use I have a Google Home at home in my living room, and I use it to just hey, what's the weather today? I don't have to go to weathercanada.ca or whatever it is in order to find that. I can just ask Google. And I, I wonder if those I actually wonder if those searches are included in yeah. those searches. I was, funny enough, I was going to ask John that. I don't know. Um, what do you reckon, John? Is that part of it as well? Um, you know, this didn't really indicate. It did, did really say, did it? I was yeah, wondering, it really as I was reading it, I was wondering that all the time, but you never made it clear, did he? Well, it, it, I think it said that these were from Google.com. Right. So not, not voice search. This is actual browser search. And, you know, we, we don't, it's also not just the Google Assistant. We can hold down the home button on our phones and search that way. So there's, all, there, again, it's, it's really more of an assistant than it is a search engine because it, its purpose is to serve us and, and find us the answers that we're looking for. If we can, if we can do that in the least amount of steps possible, then it is its prerogative to do so. And another point, again, Google is not yet a public utility. They have to create value for their shareholders as... Uh, oh, my point on that, really, Adrian, was... I really kind of, I think history never repeats itself, but the patterns definitely do. Mm-hmm. Some way, unfortunately, they do. And, you know, and it was when, um, oh, I've forgotten, um, Standard Oil was broken up. Um, basically, part it was broken up and the actual, um, the family, I've got the, the family owned it, um, they actually made more money. And that's why they went along with it. Um, so I'm sure Google's some stage will be broken up, but there will be parts that, that, that will be commercial entities and other mm-hmm. bits that might not be. But I think for Google to accept it, uh, when it is broken up, it, they'll probably make even more money. You know, that's how, how it normally goes. Only on. time will tell. And if it does, then it does. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. But I guess we'll see. I don't know. I, I can't right, tell the future. Then. Uh, anyway, all, all to say that they can stick as many ads in there, in there as they want. Um, yeah. I always actually find the paid ads helpful. If I'm looking for a lawn care company, 
then usually the people who can afford to pay for ads are the ones who can afford to figure out how to mow my lawn, my lawn properly. So power to them. Um, I've noticed myself that they've, they've definitely pumped up the advert, the amount of adverts. I've noticed that. Uh, um, I was, I was noticed that yesterday I was doing some searches and I thought, my God, you know, there's a lot of adverts here. There's um, a lot of other ways to create traffic for your business other than organic search results these days. Uh, you can build followings on a ton of different platforms and you can use a ton of different tools. Email marketing, for example, SMS marketing. You can have, build a follow, your following solely on Twitter and, and virality of videos. And, and there's a lot of ways other than organic search results. Well, I think it comes, you know, you, you know that's why I do the podcast and maybe that's why you come, you've agreed to become a host, you know. Um, it, you know, if you want to be an effective business, obviously you've got to have a core um, Product, product or service, and do something that satisfies a need or demand. But the other side is, you know, you 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 have to become a content engine. You have to become, um, oh, I'm looking at strong, a media company. I think any company in 2019 or any individual brand or any that wants to build something, uh, part of their activity is to become a media company to some degree. I, I absolutely agree. Producing valuable content on a regular basis is extremely important, not only to maintain relevance, but to continue to create uh, curiosity. You can have the greatest product or service on the planet, but if you can't keep people's attention, then it's essentially worthless. What do you reckon, Chris? I think not all paid advertising is interruption advertising. So if it's helpful and it helps you find what you're looking for, I don't really see it as a nuisance or even if it's dominating the upper third of the Google SERP. Um, So just throwing that out there. I I do think that the instant answers or instant results is a good thing. You know, if you're ever traveling or you're trying to see if a store is open, now you don't have to click through to their website. You can just see, oh, close now. Or here's their phone number. I'm going to call them in order to take out or whatever is going on. So I think overall, it's a good thing. And I think what we miss, especially the general public, is it's amazing how many different verticals that Google is in, like whether it's flights or YouTube or... I mean, search is just one of them. They're all over the place across apps and websites. And if you run any kind of online business, you know, I'm in Drive, Analytics, YouTube. Like I'm in Google land like most of the day. (laughs) So uh, it's... It is big and that just requires, you know, the whole ethics and oversight thing. We just got to keep a critical eye on it and make sure, you know, it's not becoming the ISL run. Right. Thanks for that. I think I found some good stories. On to our recommendations of the week. And I'm going to recommend um, one of our... Um, 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 one of our friends of the show, Matt, from the Matt Report, Matt Dias, and it's Conductor. Um I, I don't, um, I've been using it for a while and um, they offer a really great lifetime package for $399 that basically you get all the updates for life. Um, I love these lifetime um, packages and I, I, I kind of bought it uh, um, and Matt did a great deal for me and I really appreciate Matt. You get thumbs up for that. And I've been trying it out on a couple of projects and it really works really fantastic. Um, what does it do? Basically, it allows you to build um, queries without you having to be a top coder. And it does a ton of other stuff. It's a really interesting 
plug-in and it was when Matt first developed it with his team. Um, go, um, the link will be in the show, go and find some more about it. Um, so, Chris, what would you like, got anything you want to recommend? Yeah, I just got to jump in a sec. So I just wanted to say that we just put a couple months of work into putting together a list at Lifter LMS. Usually I don't do a shameless plug, but uh, at lifterlms.com forward slash recommended dash resources, we put together a list of tools and just things course builders need that they can waste a lot of time, energy, and focus on. So we're kind of giving them a condensed shopping list so they don't end up in never launch land or get bogged down in, in, with the wrong tools. Yeah, but you didn't put favorite podcasts and you didn't put my sodding podcast <laughs> on your list, did you? We you actually put your a, own podcast there, obviously, <laughs> but you could have put mine there as well, couldn't you? We, ha- we actually have thought about putting together like a kind of a training thing to feature videos and podcasts and stuff like that, but we haven't, we haven't gotten there yet, but thanks for the tip. I do got to, <laughs> I, I do got to bounce and, uh, yeah, I just want to thank you, Jonathan, for having me on the show. And uh, I'm Chris Badgett from Lifter LMS. Hope everybody has an awesome day. Yeah, see you later, Chris. Um, I always got to give him pain. I have to, um, Adrian, um, anything you want to recommend? Yeah. Uh, so I have been in the deep process of recording a partner certification program uh, that we are going to certify partners for implementation. They're going to receive training. They're going to receive assets, tutorials, templates, all that good stuff to implement Groundhog for their clients and services. But I needed a tool to record all of that hour's worth of content to to stick people through. And I used uh, a free tool to do that uh, called OBS Studio or OBS Project. And I, I linked it there in the chat. And it essentially, it is a broadcast tool that you can use to do simple screen capture. Uh, you can also use it to broadcast to a Facebook Live or wherever it accepts live feeds. And uh, it doesn't have like the capabilities of Zoom where in terms you can have like people on your show as we are guests on your show and we can all communicate together. It's, it's uh, solely for uh, one to many in terms of a tool like that. But I find it incredibly useful just to do some simple screen capture, to do a Facebook Live uh, once in a while on, in my Facebook group in order to communicate with people and let them know what's going on, where we are with the software, where we are with the programs and all that good stuff. And I have found it uh, immensely useful in for the last two years I've been using it actually. So I highly recommend you go and check out. And best of all, it's absolutely free uh, because it is an open source platform that is community contributor focused. Yeah, it's a great bit of software actually. Yeah, uh, John, have you got something you want to plug to the listeners and viewers? Yeah, definitely. So sometimes uh, you want people to review your business on Google uh, and it's, it's hard for them to figure it out or they don't know how to do it. But uh, WhiteSpark has put together a, a handy uh, review handout generator uh, for uh, Google reviews. Uh, so basically, you just type in your, your info. It'll find your business uh, and it will give people, uh, it'll give you like a, a printout a PDF that you can uh, hand to your customers uh, or your your clients, and uh, then you'll get more reviews. So, uh, just handy. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Make sure that's in the chat. Right, Adrian, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to, Adrian? Yeah, so they can go to groundhog.io. That is groundhog with two Gs at the end, so we could trademark it. 
once they go there, they can download our free WordPress plugin. Uh, we run a freemium model, so the uh, our entire base plugin, which has a ton of value in it, is absolutely free. They can also go to wordpress.org forward slash plugins forward slash groundhog, again with two Gs, to find our, our uh, WordPress repository listing, and they can uh, submit support tickets there, and they can leave a review if they want, or they can do any of that good stuff and download our software again from that place as well. Uh, if you want to reach out to me personally, I am info at groundhog.io, and we are at uh, we are at Groundhog WP on both Facebook and Twitter, where you can also reach out to us uh, with any of your burning questions. Yeah, go and look at Groundhog. Um, it's a really interesting plugin and a service, and uh, I'm trying to give it as much support as possible. Um, John, uh, um, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to, especially yeah. your YouTube channel? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Two places that I would recommend going, go to my uh, website, Lockdown SEO. Uh, And as you mentioned, you can go to my YouTube channel. Uh, Just go on YouTube, search hashtag Lockdown SEO, and you will find me. I am publishing videos on SEO every single day. Uh, If you have a question, just put it in there. I'll make a video for it. So no worries. Yeah, and John knows his SEO, so you're going to get your questions from a a quality resource. Um, Thanks, folks. Um, One thing I've got um, a thing to ask you, listeners and beloved viewers, um, go to Apple and give us a review. It really does help the show. So go to Apple. Um, It's a little bit secure, um, not totally clear how you do it, but there's plenty of tutorials on YouTube and that. But if you can, go to you. Um, iTunes, click the review button I think it's right in the top right corner and you can give the show a, a review and it really does help the show um, we're not going to have a show next week folks because it's um, going to be following the 4th of July and I think most of my panellists will be suffering from a handover or be travelling or not available probably not Adrian because he's Canadian but the rest of them won't be available but we will be back the following week in full opinionated power um we'll see you soon folks bye thanks for listening to wp tonic the podcast that gives you a spoonful of wordpress medicine twice a week